Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello everybody and welcome to our Match Day 8 Forza Italian Football Podcast. This is called That. <laughs> um, I am Ewan Burns. Connor's not here at the moment. He is in Ireland driving around relatively aimlessly, I imagine. I think that's largely the point. Um, he's having a very nice time. If you want to see pictures of Ireland, go and look at his Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm joined by Kev. How are you, Kev? I'm good. Um can tell Connor's away because, you know, this is the, the most unshaven I've ever seen <laughs> you, I think, in, in, in the last few years. So clearly, clearly not having Connor around is getting to, you know, is it causing you sleepless nights? I don't know. It's a hangover from my own holiday. I, I didn't shave while I was away, and then I've just still... Uh, a little secret for the listeners, I am blonde and do not grow facial hair very fast. So this is the result of about a month's work. And for, the, for that reason, I don't have a habit of shaving regularly. Um, so I just let it get to a silly point and then eventually get rid of it. Someone who is clean-shaven, though, from what I can tell, is Vito. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, Ewan. Um my facial hair tends to grow a bit quicker, so I have to shave once a week. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where to go with that. I don't know, it's a, it's, <laughs> you you stop so much more suddenly than I expected there. <laughs> we feel like we feel like the free bears of facial hair. It feels like we've all got, you know, I am certainly not shaving once a week, maybe once a fortnight. Ewan struggles to shave once a month, so... You know, we should be doing a we should be doing a Gillette ad or something at the moment, or get or, or finding some sponsorship from a razor brand. Right, we'll, we'll oh, cut the shaving God. chat there. <laughs> um, whether, whether I'll fully cut it, I don't know. Um, Patreon, a reminder to anyone who's listened to this as the free podcast. This is all that you tend to hear from us. You can hear a hell of a lot more through the week. You can hear Champions League review, which we'll be doing after those games. That you would have heard a preview for this set of games. You'd hear a roundup of Serie A Feminale, which me and Connor do. Um, and that is all on patreon.com forward slash total Italian football. Um, and also our website, total-italianfootball.com. There's various stuff from the weekend's games up there right now, and there will be more over the next couple of days. And the Champions League is going to be mad. But we're here to talk about match day eight of Serie A, which was. A good one. It wasn't like a. I wouldn't say it was a corking fixture list, but there was quite a few very interesting games that you know, panned out to be interesting. It started off with Napoli beating Torino three-one. They're still doing very nicely, and then the biggest game coming into the weekend was Inter against Roma, which Roma won two-one. Um, Empoli won Milan three. That was mad, and we will talk about that in depth. It was mad for all manner of reasons. Um, and then into Sunday, Lazio 4, Spezia 0. Very impressive. Lecce 1, Cremonese 1. Samp 0, Monza 3. A result that has cost uh, Giampaolo his job, which we'll talk about as Vito has a vested interest. Um, Saspolo 5, Salernitana 0. A whacking there. First female Serie A referee there as well. Uh, Atalanta 1, Fiorentina 0. So Atalanta are keeping pace with Napoli. And... Sunday night, Juve 3, Bologna 0. We've got Verona Udinese on Monday night for anyone who cares. We are going to start with Inter losing again. They've now lost four in their first eight Serie A games. They've lost five games this season, if you count the loss against Bayern in the Champions League, which you should count because that was a loss. Um, I mean, they, they started well in this game. They took the lead through Federico De Marco, who was having a very, very nice time at the moment. He just seems to be, you know, he's not the main man at Inter, but you almost feel like he's he's the informed man for both club and country. Um, I'm going to come to you, Kev, because they started well, like I said, and then the performance just seemed to kind of drop off a cliff. And they've done this quite a lot where, you know, they seem to get to a point in a game and they it's not that they run out of physical puff, it's that they just, the, the mentality seemed to drop. And there was goals from Paolo de Bale and Chris Smalling, and Roma got the three points. Why do you think that seems to happen to Inter? I mean, do you think it happens? And if you do, I, preferably I, yes, then why? <laughs> I, I, I think it. I think it is happening. Certainly this season. I think um, 
you brought up the the mentality i think it it very much does look like a mental thing um and i think it's bore out by when you look at the league table at the moment they've got four wins and they've got four defeats they don't they don't seem to find that happy medium you know they 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 almost need to grind out a draw to give them confidence that they can do that and i, I think maybe you know the the Dybala goal just before half time um well not just just before half time but anyway before we went into the break things like Handanovic's poor attempt to sort of keep that out because as much as it was probably caught out might be the wrong word but you know the, the ball gets struck into the ground it sort of is going at pace but you know really a, a professional goalkeeper particularly one of his experience um should be doing slightly better in my in my opinion not not being a goalkeeper and i think that can then just sort of turn turn, turn the players to think you know this isn't going to be our night and that's i think where the collapse comes they just lose all confidence that they're going to get anything out of the game because it starts going against them again yeah, it's it's very odd, and it's something that it it, it I struggle to see um, what Inzaghi really does next. I mean, we know he can be quite stubborn tactically. He's he's going to have to make a change, especially because um, Lautaro Martinez has picked up an injury in this game. I think he's out of the Barcelona match, so that's Lukaku and Lautaro out, which is quite the worry. Um, someone who also thinks that is Ali Bai, who was at the game for us on totalhypentinyfoot.com you can read he's done a feature essentially about how Inzaghi looks powerless to um, stop what is happening to Inter they're, they're in a genuine rot now the international break clearly didn't do anything good for them Vito in terms of obviously the aim for them was the title you know a, a lot of people a lot of people had slightly discounted Milan and it was Juve and Inter were the two teams that are going to battle it out for the title do you obviously that's far from like mathematically gone? But in terms of what they've shown, do you think that's gone already? Is it is it top four for them now? I wouldn't write them off the total chase just yet, but uh, given the circumstances, you can say that uh, the momentum is clearly not with them, and it would take something special to try and get that momentum in their favour. Uh, the way they've been playing, they do look slow and pedestrian compared to other years. And that was one thing I pointed out after the defeat to Lazio. But uh, against Roma, it's more of the same. They don't look like they're playing with the same urgency and intensity that we've become accustomed to since Antonio Conte took over and then when Simone Inzaghi replaced him last season. I also do believe that some of these issues are related to the playing personnel it's clear that with the, the speculation of the Sooning group wanting to sell the club, uh, the reinforcements that have been brought in have not been impressive and having Lukaku on the sidelines has not helped the situation either. So I think uh, in terms of player selection, Inzaghi needs to have a lot more courage and take a few more risks. So instead of just playing someone like Andre Onana in the Champions League games, I think he needs to look at playing the former ex-goalkeeper in Serie A matches too because, you know, uh, time uh, doesn't wait for anyone. Someone like Kandanovic needs to accept that uh, his time has come and uh, eventually it should be about nurturing Onana in this particular scenario. And I think Kandanovic really needs to seriously consider retiring at the end of this campaign because he might have the odd game here and there, but his errors have become increasingly regular and that should be very concerning for the Nerazzurri. I think it's interesting with the ownership uh, issues because obviously this was the uh, this was the Digi Bits derby, and uh, I know you, you you cover Inter very very closely, um, Ewan guy. I nearly did what I've done previously in the past and called you Connor. Yeah, forgetting forgetting <laughs> my hosts, but um, you know you wonder how much how much uncertainty there is around the club if any of them are picking up on that. I believe that. Um, they've, they've missed some instalments of their payments to Inter, oddly, but apparently haven't to Roma. So they're talking about lifting the sponsor from the, the front of the shirts. And Vito touched on how how the playing staff has been uh, impacted by maybe the, the finances available. And actually, and this is a game where 
again, you could call it the Dybala derby. We had the whole summer, everybody expecting Dybala to sign with Inter. And at the end of the day, it would very much appear on the surface that it was the finances that brought Lukaku to Inter that, that stopped them getting Dybala. And he's, he's proved to be one of the influential uh, elements of them losing this game. Yeah, the, the the Dybala narrative is fascinating. It's, it's another thing that makes this just an awful, um, such an awful result for Inter. There's, there's many different elements to it. Another is that Barcelona game that we mentioned where they're playing on, I don't know if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, but they're playing Barcelona at San Siro. And obviously you, you can envisage a world where they lose that as well. And then, it, you know, it just all begins to spiral. That digital bits thing that you mention it's so weird i think i think the latest thing that i wrote about it was that it is like accepted that they won't be on the shirts for much longer like that that it, it is the end of that that the money isn't going to suddenly appear and it's going to all be rosy but i'd love to know what roma think about that because surely you've got a fear that the exact same thing is going to happen to you at some point it's a, it's a lot of money that just didn't appear in the accounts um but we'll focus on roma a bit more um, I'll come back to you, Kev. Obviously, something that has been talked about a lot is the fact that Roma under Mourinho haven't been beating the big teams. And then obviously this season they um, they drew with Juve. And who did they lose to? Oh, my mind's gone blank now. So somebody beat them. Oh, Udinese. Udinese hammered them. No, no, a, a like top seven sort of team. <laughs> Udinese are at the moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We got a that is, yeah, very good point. That that is rude of uh, did Lazio did Lazio turn Roma over? <laughs> no, this was this that is way around. This isn't good podcasting, but this is winding me up now. They got beat. Was it Milan? I think Milan beat them. Uh, well, even in uh, oh, I'm going back through my uh, going back through my notepad. <laughs> God, why is I've, I've missed right. I've missed some rounds. Actually. Like, they lost against somebody else. You, you mm. try and find it while I talk. <laughs> they lost against somebody else. And it's that's becoming, you know, we talk about these mental things that can become a rot like Inter have got now just with their form in general. That was one for Roma where the talk coming into this was, well, they lost Atalanta. There we go. Of course it was. It was just for the thing. Mm-hmm. They, they, Atalanta beat them just for the international break. Um, and if they then lost this one, not only is that two defeats in a row, but it's two defeats against direct rivals in the table. So you'd think when things settle down. Um, but they dug deep. It looked like that could happen, but they dug deep and they got themselves back into the game. And yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I could, I couldn't confidently say they deserve to win, but it wasn't a robbery by any, um, by any means. How important is that psychologically for them going forward, Kev? I think I think huge, particularly this season, because it looks like it's going to be far more uh, open. And uh, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> move into Lazio too much at the moment but when I sort of saw them this morning win I thought as much as I'm not a huge fan of of, of Mourinho um, or particularly you know Roma or Lazio at the moment um, their styles or whatever it, it's great that we can have two really strong capital sides and you know them, them getting their first um Significant win over a firm total challenger, I think, will be be, be crucial for just the next couple of weeks. Because I you know, keep on banging on about how the the World Cup is going to impact uh, this season, but if they're still in touching distance, I think Mourinho will use that that World Cup period to really sort of almost treat that second half of the season as in a season in its own, in its in its in itself. In relevance to the World Cup, actually, someone who, you know, this this got personified by being dropped for this game, someone who has whose form has deteriorated slightly from last season is Tammy Abraham. Um, and Peter, what did you make of Mourinho dropping him? Because I thought until the Dybala goal, to me, it looked like it hadn't worked because to me, they, it, it, it looked almost too fluid up front. So you had Zaniolo, Dybala and... Pellegrini as a three, effectively. But to me, they all looked like they were trying to play off of someone, and that someone is normally Abraham, but it wasn't... To me, it just wasn't working. But what, what did you make of it? I suppose it was a tactical ploy, perhaps, to 
make sure that the inter-defence got stretched a bit more. But uh, I think with that kind of idea, it didn't really come off because most of the time I saw that Roma in the first half were in their own half. It wasn't like they were launching many rapid counter-attacks and even the way they were trying to play the ball out from their own half, they were moving rather slowly. So um, that would be one reason why that um, strategy didn't work until Dybala got the equaliser. Uh, perhaps uh, perhaps maybe it's a change of formation that's required to accommodate Zaniolo, Dybala, um, Abraham and Pellegrini in that same lineup to have that quartet at once. But uh, yeah, in that 3-4-2-1, uh, I suppose it's a case of you need uh, Abraham or Shamuradov or, or Belotti if necessary to you know, provide that reference point up front because the false nine thing doesn't always work. And I think it only really works with teams that truly monopolize possession as well. So I think if Abraham can get into better shape or if Belotti, if he can make more of an impact off the bench and eventually take that starting berth and become more effective, especially if he can actually start banging in some goals then that might work out tactically for Roma. But Abraham specifically, yeah, I suppose that uh, yeah, he just needs to find that scoring touch again just to get his confidence and uh, just stick to know what he does best. Yeah, you feel that he's a sort of player who one goal could quite rapidly change things around, but he's not someone who's got his place in the England team of the World Cup sorted by any means. Um, you know, if things don't pick up for him, he will be at risk of not going, which Mourinho may well be happy about that. Do you think um, um a... do you think Mourinho's you know, that that's come into Mourinho's consideration there, but maybe Abra Abraham isn't it Tammy Abraham. I was gonna go Abraham. <laughs> Tammy Tammy Abraham's performances have been you know because I think one of the big things I expected to happen this season were there were gonna be players that would be conscious of getting injured for the World Cup. Um, you know, but maybe not so those people like Tammy that are probably 50-50 or 60-40 going to be included in their national squad. And maybe this is uh, Mourinho's way of sort of going that we we think you're holding something back, you know, and you're not quite performing to what I want. And one of the best ways to sort of give you that kick up the backside is by pulling you out in a in a big game because doing it against somebody else is you know again you know with no dig at Salernitana or a side like that but if you were to leave them out about against them it's kind of almost like you're resting them for injury or or fitness uh, issues yeah definitely um, we'll move on to Empoli 1, Milan 3. Now, I'm going to have a bit of a moan here, so you have to just bear with me. But um, I was covering this game elsewhere, and loosely my responsibilities were a match report that is longer than normal ones, um, and tweeting goal videos as they happen, and also doing separate little articles with those goals, um, which means that the fact that there was nothing until the 79th minute was... That was fine. Um, you know, everything was under control. Rebic scores. Um, slightly dodgy goal where Calabria took a throw in much further forward than the Empoli team would have liked. Um, and then Liao found Rebic and he scored 1-0. That's fine. That's a manageable thing to do. Um, Bayrami then scores a fantastic free kick in the 91st minute. That's a bit annoying in the report sense, but fine. Fode Balotore, who has never scored a senior goal <laughs> in his career and is making his first start the season in place of Teo Hernandez, who's injured, immediately goes and scores at the other end. And then immediately after that, Rafael Liao goes and scores as well. So for anyone just watching the game, that is wonderful drama. And I can, I can fully appreciate that. But my, I don't think I blinked for about 25 minutes, trying to get all the necessary bits of content <laughs> out to people um, and wasn't able to enjoy what were, was an incredible game of football towards the end and a brilliant goal from Rafael Leao as well. But we'll part the brilliant elements to start with. Um, going to come to you, Kev, with the negatives because coming into this game, Milan were without Mike Magnon, got injured with France. 
Teo Hernandez, who got injured with France. Um, obviously, they're already without Origi, um, mm. Ibrahimovic, Florenzi. I've got a feeling there's one other that was fresh that I'm forgetting as well. So, um, was Kaya and Calabria fit for this? Uh, Kaya was back, Calabria was starting, but um, that's as good as it got for them because Kaya picked up an injury. So he, uh, I don't quite know how bad that one is yet. That doesn't seem to be as serious as the others. Um, Calabria got injured. He is out for the rest of 2022. That's a serious one. Um, and Salamakas may miss the World Cup. It seems a bit ambiguous. Vito has just sent a little message into the <laughs> Zencast chat for, for, for anyone who was listening last season. Quite early in last season, memory serves. He's brought up my cat herding analogy that I used for Pioli. And you're quite right, Vito. He will be doing that again because players are going to come back from injuries at different times. There's going to be more injuries during the World Cup, you'd suspect. Um, and then aggravations, offset injuries, and it's all going to get confusing for everyone. Um, he's now herding reserve cats. Well, yeah. He's, oh. <laughs> he's going to be herding cats he's never met before. <laughs> He's never been in his training sessions. Um this is bad, isn't it, Kev? Because they've got a lot of players that would normally start again. Junior Macias, that was the other one. He got injured on the day before the game. Um, so him and Salamak has obviously switch on that right-hand side. They're both out. Yeah, well, this... What happens next? Well, this, this was it, because <laughs> I do the previews for Milan now, and we like to get them out a good four or five days before the game. And even then, there was a huge list of potential absentees and guaranteed absentees and... Um, being unable to watch the game on on Saturday, I was kind of just wondering who actually started because I've kind of watched the game, but don't not really paid attention to the starting elevens. But they're one of the sort of real positive elements, I think, of Milan. The last well since Pioli's come in, is that they are a team uh, greater than the sum of their parts, and I think that success has largely stemmed from. Not necessarily just like the spine of a team, you know, that's a bit of a cliche in football that you have a good, strong spine. But I think from a, a collection of maybe seven or eight of the 11 on the pitch to play regularly together, whether that's for an entire season or just that they get a run of games, sort of five, six games playing and they, they get that familiarity. And, and I think that's what makes Milan so strong at the moment because there are better squads out there you know even into we've discussed they're a bit of a basket case at the moment but man for man I think their their squad would 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 slightly shade it and now that he's gonna have to sort of use players that he probably wouldn't necessarily have been considering using this early particularly with the, the Champions League group stages coming thick and fast and wanting to do well in that as well then even if you kind of get a decent run of form with the players, hopefully that you'll be able to mould into a successful team. You're going to be under immense pressure when those big name players come back to sort of drop them straight in just because of their name. And, you know, these are now Serie A total winners. Um, so I think it's going to be a real test in time for him to sort of work out what he what he does. But in the first, you know, the next couple of weeks, um, the priority is just going to be able to get a, a functioning and competitive team on the pitch. He does have more options than um, than he did last season, in the sense that they signed um, Astor Vranks and Malik Tior, a midfielder and a defender, um, who have barely had a sniff so far this season. So there are elements of the squad that are sort of untapped at the moment. Um, but it's the fullbacks is the problem. So you've got they're going to have to use Serginio Dest, where there's a lot of suggestions that he's not really ready yet. Um, but it's, it's going to have to be. Um, Balotore is the backup left-back in place of Teo Hernandez, so God forbid anything happens to him. And then Origi can't seem to get fit. Every time he gets close, he drops off again. They got Rebic back, and obviously he scored. Um, but it does feel like quite a fragile situation where I think Milan had definitely good enough to you know get through the Champions League group and certainly win the league again but this is the sort of thing that can derail you do you think it's that big of a deal Vito or do you think you have to wait and see who else maybe gets injured I think it's a bit of a 
concern because you can only carry on so long with the players that you have at your disposal. With those kind of absentees, they'll eventually do make a difference because you know, some of those players, they're the kind of players, you know, they play those specific roles and they add a different dimension to the team. I mean, it's nice that Balotura, he got uh, one of the goals, but uh, Teo Hernandez, although defensively he can be suspect, but as an attacking threat, Teo is still one of the best left-backs in Serie A. And, uh, you know, just the way he uses his pace, he just barges through opponents and the shot he possesses, he really acts a dimension to the play. And, uh, you know, um, and Salamakers, he's a versatile player. He works tirelessly on the right side. You've got players like Leal who provide a bit of an X-factor. The Catalare uh, is a graceful mover on the ball, but Salamakers, uh, he's someone that puts in a shift. And then in defence, especially with Kaye, okay, uh, Kalulu and Tomori in the second half of last season, they stood up admirably, but uh, Kaye's experience has been valuable for such a young team. And then, of course, uh, Manyan. Uh, uh, well, Manyan, what's to be said? He's been a revelation since he came to Milan. It looked like the Rossoneri really upgraded on Donnarumma by bringing him in. And Cyprian Tatarusano, I've never liked him. Fiorentina, uh, Fiorentina he, he did all right rubbish. Saturday, come on. <laughs> His positioning on Bayrami's free kick should have been better. The wall was fine, but why was he in the middle? He should have moved more to the left. Bayrami's technique on the free kick was fantastic, but yeah. Tatarusanu, he's been prone to errors at both Fiorentina and Milan. He was rubbish for Romania at Euro 2016. I've never liked him. And a guy who's well over two metres tall, I think he should be using his height to far better advantage. I think yeah, um, I was going to mention the height there with the free kick. I, I don't know what it is in. I, I suppose a lot of people listening would be working in. Is it meters or whatever? Um, but I think he is about six eight for mm. people who deal in that currency. Um, did you say two meters, Vito? Is that is that what is that? Yeah, so six eight would probably be about two hundred and four centimeters, give or take. Yeah, six, uh, he's, seven, he's taller than Ibrahimovic. He's yes. the tallest guy in the squad. I think I think probably he just uh, he had such a good game that in injury time. I know you, when someone's lying on a free kick up at you, you shouldn't be, you know, thinking your your night's over. Um, so maybe kind of just <laughs> and you know, and that 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 goes into what Vito was saying about his his prone to errors and with goalkeepers, a lot of those errors are that you you know your concentration level dips just for that second, and because you are the last line of defence, if you do something wrong there, then then it's a goal. I think Milan are doubt, uh, or you know, it's favourable that they're going away to Stamford Bridge for the first Champions League game against Chelsea because with the with the fullbacks uh, coming in and their importance to Milan and and Pioli having to sort of shape this new ish sort of starting eleven, he can actually say to the likes of Dest, who, who probably hasn't embedded it well yet, Torre's quite young, and just say, look, tonight we want to leave here with a point. You know, or, or you know, a clean sheet, and yeah, you focus on that tonight. You know, because if it was that, if it was that San Siro, they would expect them to. You know, these are the Italian champions. They'd expect them to go out and attack, and for at least the first sort of sixty minutes, I think at Stamford Bridge, um, they'd be over the moon if they can they can last that long without conceding a goal against what will be a, you know, obviously a, a Chelsea side. You know, change has changed hands coach wise, but um, yeah, I think if they focus mainly on defensive elements on Wednesday night, then it'll give them it'll, it'll start, it'll be the building blocks to, to whatever team Pioli's going to have to put out for the next couple of weeks. I think it was quite important for them that up until that Rebich goal, it really did feel like one of those games where obviously they're meant to win that game. And it felt like they just weren't going to get the breakthrough in the first half. I thought Milan were very good. On, on the whole um, they made a lot of chances they missed some very good chances I was amazed that they hadn't scored but then Empley started the second half really well and they looked far more likely to score and um, but so I think it was significant the way that especially with those injuries happening throughout the game that they did dig in and manage to get the result especially after the setback of the, the equaliser from Bayrami um, but talking of Empley I'll come to you actually Vita not what I've written down, but I'm going to come to you anyway. Um, they looked good here, and they have in other games. And just like last season, 
like you know some of the some of the interesting players from last season moved on. Um, you know, I'm thinking Aslani, um, Samuele Ricci moved on in in the January, didn't he? Um, but I think they've got quite a few very interesting players again. They, they, they've just got a lot of very solid players who have got an interesting edge to them. What what do you expect from them through the rest of the season? I do think it will be quite a tough season for them because there are some players that are either lacking in Serie A experience or they're still quite raw. But uh, keeping someone like Barami has been a big bonus because he adds a lot of X-factor. Bandinelli is a good uh, serviceable midfielder for them. Uh, Haas, I think he's an Austrian midfielder. He's a sole contributor. Then up front, they've got Lammers, who they got from Atalanta. I think if he can get a few goals, I think he might be due for a breakthrough campaign as well. And uh, at left back, the one player that's been uh, very underrated is a guy called uh, Fabiano Parisi. And uh, I've seen a lot of his stats. He's actually ranked pretty high in most games. But uh, he's been a very effective player, serviceable. It doesn't matter how bad or good Empoli play. He usually does his job. So uh, he might be another left-back option for the Italian team one day. So He loves to swing across over. He really loves to swing across (laughs) over. Every time I've seen Empoli um, play, he's sort of just there, just as constant. Get the ball to the left, and then the, the, it goes swinging across the box. It's, uh, you know, if that's what your game plan is, and he's um, carrying it out to the to the letter. I suppose you, uh, that's where Lammers or any other player in that final third they need to anticipate how to get to that far post, so they can get in a few headers or even swing in. Uh, a thunderous volley. Um, Parisi has actually been linked to Milan um, as a backup for Teo Hernandez, and, and you, you do wonder if Balotelli had read some of those stories because he very much staked his own claim for no, that's my role. Um, because obviously Balotelli did nearly leave the club in the summer. Um, it seemed like it was a move that just hadn't worked out. But you know, maybe he can kick on after this. Um, Going to move on from there. I'm going to go to Napoli because they won again. And they do look, I'm always hesitant to say this in Napoli, but they do just look like a very good team. Like It doesn't feel like form anymore. I think they <laughs> they are just actually very good. And yeah, as we all know, when it comes to Napoli and talking about the title and stuff, you need there to be one game left with a 55-point lead before you can really believe it's going to happen. Um, so we're not going to talk in a title sense, but they do look really good. Um, Andre Frank, Zambo and Gisa scored twice in I think the first 12 minutes I think I don't think he'd ever scored for Napoli until the goal against Liverpool I want to say I could be wrong there, it might be that he hadn't scored in Serie A or something like that but yeah then he's gone and got another two very quickly um, and then everyone's favourite Cavaradona ran half the pitch with the ball and scored because that's what he does routinely now. We're now we're now we're now just all adopting that, so we don't actually have to. We don't actually have to pronounce his <laughs> his, his surname. Which um, I've got to talk to somebody about him tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to have to. Uh, incidentally, that person in in the message referred to him as Cavaradona rather than the full name. Well, that's good. <laughs> Clearly, I, I think it's easier to say than it is to write. I think mm. when you're sort of trying to do something quickly. Um, but they look very good, don't they, Kev? They do. I think they were well. Their man Anguisa were were quite fortunate with the goals. I think I've I've not seen a softer header yet this season. It kind of hit his head <laughs> and shoulder. It just looked a bit, just looked very awkward and sort of just bounced in right at the foot of the post. And then I have no idea what Torino were doing for his second. He sort of picks the it ball up on the halfway up, line yeah. and he just runs and he runs. And there's a moment where. I'm 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 certain that he's thinking. No one's 
But he's, he's looking out, you know, I could cross here. He's like, oh, actually, nobody's come over. Nobody's come over to close me down. Yeah, it's like... I, I, to me, he's thinking to himself, I hadn't planned to shoot him no, at no. all. It, it yeah. hadn't crossed my mind. It, yeah, <laughs> nine times out of ten, there is a defender closing me down and there is one hot on my heels. And that one had given up, largely <laughs> chasing him. So he just said, he just... And, and the thing was, it looked such a strange goal because of the way the camera angle um, for, the, for the British broadcast was facing that he was just headed directly towards um, Milinkovic-Savic, isn't it, in goal? Mm. And fired it straight at him as well, like literally a foot away from <laughs> the goalkeeper's left foot. So it just almost went in a straight line as well. It was a, it was a strange goal, but yeah, I'd, you know, you've mentioned it already that we're not going to talk about the title. Two or three years or, or two or three seasons of, you know, they've had, they've had these wonderful starts. They look brilliant. Um, everybody gets over. Well, everybody gets excited. Not necessarily overexcited. I think we'd all love to. We'd love to see it. If for no other reason, I, I mentioned this on a previous pod, that when they were, I don't know, a couple of months and still in the race, I thought, oh, can I get a flight to Naples? Because I'd just love to see the city. Because you know, it's it's one of the few where, you know, it's, it, it it is a one city, to, you know, club or one club city, and yeah, I'm just trying to. Just trying to limit my excitement at the moment. But, yeah, I think they're going to go great guns in the Champions League. And actually, that's what I think might, might probably uh, disrupt them a little bit when um, people come back from World Cup, Champions League knockout start, and will they be able to keep this pace up uh, after Christmas? Mm. Um, a team that are also going at good pace is Lazio. To, to me, I feel like they're... Maybe this is just me paying less attention to them, but I feel like they're going slightly under the radar this season so far. But they're sat in third now after all these games. They just beat Spezia 4 0. Um, so, can you scored a fantastic goal in that game? Milinkovic Savic just kind of strolled around and took the piss and scored a couple of times. Um, they they look very good. Do you, do you think they're better than last season? I certainly think they are. They look more fluid. And I think they also move the ball quicker whilst also having clean ball control. It's not like that they make the pass or the ball control too heavy. I think they're looking more crisp and incisive when they are moving with the ball. When I look at this team as well, I think keeping Luis Alberto and Malinkovic Savage has helped. Then with a few other additions to the squad, they do look like uh, they're a far more greater attacking threat and they actually aren't too vulnerable at the back. A lot of Spezia's chances were more or less half chances and watching the Bianco Celesti play, I just thought they could have won by more than 4-0, but I think they were a bit happy after about 2-0 just to sort of lay off a little bit, recuperate some energy, let Spezia have a bit of the ball and then once the spaces would open up, that's when they would go again for more goals. And you pointed out Milinkovic Savic. Sometimes it felt like he was just having fun at, on the pitch because there were a few times where I think he lost the ball and he tried to overdo it. He tried to dribble a bit, but uh, you just knew that once uh, he got his focus back, he could do some damage and to score the two goals in the second half really capped off his performance. Absolutely. Um, Kev, there's something I know that you want to talk about from Atalanta 1, Fiorentina 0. Um, not a huge amount to say about the game generally, other than Atalanta have won again, they're level on points with Napoli, and they're continuing their very, very impressive form, which we didn't expect. But Christian Kwame got sent off, and you want to share your thoughts. Well, yeah, he, <laughs> he kind of didn't get, didn't get sent off. He kind of got... He got he got sent off and then they rescinded it based on VAR taking another look at it. It was a high foot, you know. The the replays noted that he didn't sort of touch um, Martin De Bruyne. And then uh, I commented on on social media that he, you know, well not not he necessarily, but players that go and lift their head above their waist and it goes into you know almost into the face of the opponent probably should at least receive a card. To discourage them from doing it again, because um, I imagine it could have left a, a nasty gash or a bruise if you do kick someone in the face. And I think the only thing that got him away from being sent off and then them sort of uh, 
going with the original decision was that he he, he didn't leap into it. And uh, Scott Munro, um, a, a listener, um, was suggesting that Deroyne ducked into the ducked into the um, the ball, but you know, at most he kind of just leant forward. But um, I, I think Vito shared my view. But uh, I think Vito was far happier than I was that he didn't receive any card. I thought it was definitely a yellow card offence because those kind of plays are dangerous. But uh, I think the red card would only really be merited if he actually made contact with mm. uh, the rune. But I can see what yeah. Kev means. When you raise your leg up like that, it's uh, unnecessary and you're hurting your opponent unnecessarily. Yeah. It is a contact sport, you know, that's a given. But uh, uh, sometimes you've got to draw the line. You can't be too dangerous or reckless and in those kind of situations when I see a player raise his leg so high you just got to think that wouldn't it be just much better if you just went for a header instead yeah you said it Vito you said it uh, you know the, the the terms dangerous and, and reckless I mean that's what sometimes should warrant uh, you know a stronger card and people people seem to to tie those terms up with um, intentional you know, there are lots of things that are on a football pitch that aren't intentional, but they are dangerous and reckless. And, and, and that's why I would probably want a slightly stronger par, uh, punishment just to kind of um, deter players from, from doing those sorts of things. Speaking of punishment, sorry to do this, Vito, but we have to talk about <laughs> Marco Giampaolo. He's been sacked. It happened. I fear, I feel that you've wanted it for some time. They got they got beaten at home by Monza, a Monza team who incidentally have won back to back games now and are unbeaten in three. Um, so that they're on the charge um, under their new coach. Um, do you think you're going to get any sort of charge like that when you get somebody new? I'm very pessimistic because the team's still not up to standard, really. So. Um, I was probably going to give Giampaolo the benefit of the doubt, despite his horrible spells at Milan and Torino. But uh, there were a few people that I follow on Twitter that would tell me that Giampaolo should have gone earlier. So uh, after a loss to Monza at home, although they've made the changes and they look good, it's the kind of fixture that on paper some should be getting at least a point, if not winning. So... I suppose if you just look at purely on results, that was the final straw. And it'd be a bit intriguing to see who comes in, but I can't see whoever comes in. doesn't matter if they're experienced or they've got fresh ideas that they can bring too much to the table because there are just quite a few players like Jason Mario, Gonzalo Villa, and also... Thomas Rincon, to a lesser extent, they're just not going to improve the team. Uh, the team's going to keep on languishing. And uh, needless to say, there are a lot of better players that really need to come in in January to try and bring this team out of the relegation zone. With Giampaolo, I also think after getting sacked, I think anyone who tries to hire him for a Serie A job is just plain nuts because he's shown that he's, thr- he's failed at three clubs. And I think from now on, this should just confine him to jobs in the lower divisions of Italian football. Would it upset you further to mention that Gianluca Caprari and, to a lesser extent, Stefano Sensi scored in this game as two former Samp players? What I found interesting about that was that Caprari celebrated in front of the away fans and Sensi, who was only there for no more than six months, actually was silent. So that was a bit (laughs) unusual. Caprari was on the books from 2017 and uh, Sensi was basically just stopping over, yet he was the one that was silent. So that was a bit bit interesting. And also to rub further salt into the room, Paladino's done a good job in his first two games. And um, he was a former Genoa player. And like Ivan Juric <laughs> at Torino, he's more or less a Gasparini disciple, that 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1 pressing tactics, uh, players with great comfort on the ball. So, yeah, maybe Paladino has turned things around for the Brianzoli. But, uh, yeah, I think looking at Paladino's past and even two of the goal scorers, yeah, 
it really feels like the salt's been rubbed into the wound quite a fair bit. Yeah, certainly. Um, something that we should mention, I briefly mentioned it at the start of the podcast, but um, in the Sassuolo-Solentana game, which incidentally ended 5-0 to Sassuolo, they were not hanging about at all. Um, we had the first ever female Serie A referee, Maria Sole Ferreri Caputi, who's got lots of names, um, took charge of that game. Um, anyone got anything to add about that match? Oh, it's a pretty comprehensive win for Sassuolo, considering that they were missing Berardi. Pinomonti had to be had to come off at half time, and they have a team of largely unknown players, even for the most uh, hardcore of Serie A fans. So it's probably you know the best performance so far this season as well. And uh, uh, there weren't any controversial calls, so. For Ferrieri Caputi, I think it was a solid outing as well. I thought it was interesting that the, uh, the you know with Berardi out, the five scorers were almost sort of these virtually unknowns. It it felt like a bit of a, a changing of the guard. You know, you're no longer seeing Berardi and Boga's obviously gone, and he used to always be on the on the score sheet. And you thought, oh, you know, they're going to they're still going to be their swashbuckling selves, but now we've got a a few extra names to look out for. Indeed. Peter. Not only that, not only that, uh, Skamaka's gone. He just scored for West Ham in the Premier League on the weekend. Raspadori's at Napoli. He's had some good form with Napoli and has been decisive for the national team recently. So, you know, with those kind of losses, you would think that the Nero Verdi would struggle. But, uh, yeah, to get the 5 0 win on the weekend at Salernitana, that'd surely be a great booster for Alessio Dionisi, the coach and also those new boys who contributed to the scoring. Absolutely. Um, we're going to call it there, unless anyone has anything they want to say about a game that we have not talked about. Did we cover... I'm sensing the answer, no. Did we cover Juve? <laughs> oh, God, Juve. That's how forgettable they are. Vito, tell us what happened at Juve, because you did the report for us. Yes, I did. So, first one for total Italian football. And, yeah, it was actually a comfortable win for Juventus. They went the dower selves. It must be said that Bologna were quite leaky in defence, but to see the Serbian connection of Filip Kostic and Dusan Vlahovic combined for the first goal, then Vlahovic scored himself in the second half, and the Polish international Milik added the third. So I think uh, this is the Connie Juve that we need to see, and this is how they should be getting results. Uh, the old pragmatism of Allegri has shown that it's, it's failing, so they need something new. And it's better that they utilize Milik and Vlahovic simultaneously. It will cause headaches for the opposition, and uh, I think the results will come. It's not just a case of having good performances for the sake of it. If Juventus will try to play well now, they'll get more wins. But if Allegri retreats to his old habits, they're going to cop it like they did against Monza. Simple as that. It was a it was a <laughs> tad boring. I'll admit that uh, I started watching it with the sound kind of on, <laughs> and I, a bit like <laughs> a bit like Lazio Spezia, the opposition didn't give much of a contest. Uh, like I addressed just before, the Rosso Blue were quite leaky in defence, and whatever chances they had, they were they either were just pot shots from distance or they just flew wide. So Shechny on his return did not have any significant saves to make but uh, at least the Juve they had a bit more endeavour than usual and they had a bit more comfort on the ball so hopefully there are some lessons for them to learn as the season progresses If we we want to if either of you want to repeatedly say that the game was not interesting that's fine by me given that (laughs) I've just completely forgotten it happened even though it happened just before we start recording and I published Vito's recording uh, Rito's report. I can only apologise, Juve fans, for forgetting it happened. Um, the Millet goal, though, that was very good. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I did. I also watched most of it as well. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, someone just putting their foot straight through the ball. Um, it's one of yeah, those. That that, an angry girl. Yeah, you do it at two 0 up, don't you? Because uh, if it was nil nil, then with sort of half an hour to go, you still need a little bit of subtlety. But uh, yes, you know, obviously him and uh, his uh, countrymen contributing at both ends. 
But uh, I, I, I blame the TV schedulers for putting something like Juventus at home to Bologna. Um, although I was secretly hoping that Bologna would get something just because Juve had once again spat on their traditional colours. There it is. And uh, I tell you what, actually, while we're on this, we're gonna, I'm going to jump back to another game because we, we didn't touch on it while Napoli played. Napoli wore this Halloween shirt. Halloween kit even because they meant that they moved to oh did they do it again they moved to black shorts so I think Thursday I started seeing all the promotional material come out through the club about the Halloween shirt and you know we knew it was gonna we knew it was coming and at least it was a traditional blue unlike the black one they had last year I'm keeping you and up with this and uh, <laughs> but what 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 decided well, what what annoyed me was that they wore it today. It's like your promotional materials come out Thursday. That's it. Build up and actually wear it in Halloween. You know we're on the we're on the third of yeah. oh sorry we're on the second of October. It's like there must be a closer game to sort of the you know to, to the actual Halloween. And it just uh, it's a tough one out there. Because from a marketing perspective, I suppose they can't just wear it on one game. But they will because because I think I think that's I, what they I did with like, the last like, one. Uh, I feel I feel like if if I was in charge of making that kit sell well i i would be pushing for it to be warm for the month of october i think i, I think may, maybe maybe you and i i feel like we're probably the same with halloween where we don't care um but there are people who really care for the whole month and it's a big deal so maybe maybe the person in charge of the kit is big on halloween <laughs> yeah i suppose they did just release hocus pocus 2 which Stace made us watch this weekend so <laughs> halloween has certainly started in our house about this it's I, I don't know what it is <laughs> oh okay so uh it was originally a uh, hocus pocus was a, a disney movie that came out in the late 90s uh forgetting when you were born again <laughs> you always wince whenever you say anything to do with a year <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i recall it being very popular and, and arguably quite entertaining but um people of that age that lived through it quite excited about Disney Plus putting Hocus Pocus 2 on, but I thought, again, I, I probably had the same feeling as I did towards a Napoli shirt, that why are you sticking it on when, <laughs> you know, Halloween actually falls on a weekend in the UK this year, you know, close to a weekend, but rather than the start of the month. But Right, well, we're now talking about Halloween films, so mm. it's officially time to go. Indeed. Um, <laughs> reminder for anyone not on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Total Italian Football. Plenty of stuff up on the website, total-italianfootball.com. Um, Beto, I believe, is going to be doing a little piece about Giampaolo and his sacking with a bit more depth than what is already on the site. Do you want to give us a little taste, Beto? Uh, yes, well, I'll reflect solely on this second Stint, so I don't think there's much point in talking about when he was there the first time. The second coming. Brief yeah, the second coming that failed miserably. The difficult yeah. second album. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, what a shocker. But yeah, a bit about his return after replacing the Versa and just how things have, you know, he hasn't recaptured the magic from the first spell and then also briefly touching about how off-field events haven't, help the situation either so there you go well yeah if, if that sounds jolly and up your street then um <laughs> at some point over the next 24 hours or so um that will be up on the site i believe that is all from us say goodbye vita goodbye say goodbye kev goodbye everybody <laughs>